fear, anger, hatred. Anger feeds the flame. Oh, oh, there is evil here. Monstrous, terrible evil. Hatred of all that lives. Hatred of women. Rejak. Hi, and welcome to Women at Warp. Join us as our crew of four women Star Trek fans boldly go on our bi-weekly mission to explore our favorite franchise. I'm Andy, your moderator for the week, and I'm joined by our whole crew, Jera, Grace, and Sue. Hi, everyone. Hey. Hi. Hey. Today we're going to talk about an original series episode called Wolf in the Fold. Now, I don't think we really want to be an episode review show by any stretch of the imagination, but... There are a lot of episodes throughout all of the series that are either extremely great for women or, in this case, extremely terrible for women. And I think that it would be useful to kind of dive into some of these episodes and really understand what made them work or not work. Um, so Yeah, and this is definitely a squeaky wheel we're giving the grease to. <laughs> exactly. Um, so for those of you who blessedly do not remember the episode Wolf in the Fold, basically the... The summary is Scotty is accused of killing a belly dancer and goodness gracious, what's going on? We must clear Scotty of his belly dancing murder. And uh, Well, of course, to avenge the woman, right? Oh, no, 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 no. It's all about Scotty. So, oh, well, of course. Basically, Scotty gets accused of murder and Kirk and McCoy and Spock have to clear his name. And it's kind of the overall... This is a literal case of bros before hoes. <laughs> It's like, that's the overall idea of the episode. Um, Our first scene is actually set in, like, some sort of belly dancing, exotic dancer, I don't know, club, I guess you could call it. Before we even get into the action of what is happening here, like, the whole thing is set up with the floor cushions and the colors and the, like, druggy opium atmosphere. It's like classic trappings of what people called orientalist which is like i can't i hate even saying it the whole thing is just so racist and like eurocentric that just even looking at the first scene upsets me and we haven't even like before dialogue is even uttered we have a white woman doing the belly dance yeah to the same music that they used in the cage for the orion belly dancing um which is another example of orientalism of basically this white idea of the exotic far east also it's just lazy give us different music they could only pay for so much music (laughs) and the belly dancing wasn't good i mean if you're gonna culturally appropriate and be racist. At least make it good dancing, right? <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah. So, I mean, even from the get-go, the the set dressing you're right, Sue, is you can tell what kind of place this is right off the bat. So did we even mention yet why they are in this place? Because I think that's important. My least favorite why for anything? Uh, yeah, so McCoy and Kirk have decided to bring Scotty to this place because apparently in some uh, unaired episode... Um, a female engineer made a mistake that injured Scotty, and now he harbors an irrational f- hatred of women. And that's literally how they put it. Wow. Yeah, yeah, I mean, that's nice. I'd like to think that Scotty would be, you know, logical enough to know that one woman making a mistake doesn't condemn all women, but apparently not. I think they use resentment, not hatred. Just just before we get hatred. So much better. <laughs> 
are they trying to like get him off the big horse and onto a little horse from resentment to objectifying? What is their long-term plan here? <laughs> yeah, definitely. Apparently their long-term plan is to get him laid so he'll remember all of the good things about women and then he won't resent them anymore. <laughs> yes, hopefully we can show Scotty the way to remember boobs. They're a thing. <laughs> I mean, it's just such a terrible concept. First of all, in what universe is sex with a woman necessarily respect for a woman? I mean, using a woman sexually is a huge part of misogyny. Yeah. I, I just, the, the whole concept is very baffling to me. Why they think that this would solve a problem and not make it worse. Let's just establish right off the bat that this episode is like a symphony of poor planning. Yeah, this like this first scene strikes me as like the 23rd century equivalent of a business meeting in a Playboy club today. You have yeah, Kirk, Scotty, and uh, McCoy basically uh, like leering at these dancers. And uh, as soon as one of them goes off with Scotty, Kirk's basically like mission accomplished as far as Scotty is concerned. Like basically we're going to get him laid and then he will be fine again. And uh, then he's like, Bones, I know a little place across town where the women and the McCoy interrupts him and goes, oh, yes, I know the place. Let's go. Charming. Since when is it the captain's responsibility to procure women for his crew? I guess his also do, uh, double duty as a captain is morale officer i couldn't tell you honestly it's just truly disturbing and also do you think he's doing this for the lady crewmen also no girls allowed i don't i would doubt it yeah scotty does say no that's what i call a real captain always thinking of his men so creepy so basically this this whole opening scene lasts what five minutes four minutes something and we already have just egregious both racism and sexism. Um, I also just want to point out that I, I myself, in my feminism, I do not have a problem with sex workers. I do not have a problem with strippers. Goodness, no. I do not have a problem with sex work as a actual job. I don't think it's anti-feminist. I don't think it's immoral. But the way they introduce this dancer is her sole purpose is to be used by Scotty. She is a means to an end, not a person. Absolutely. Exactly. And that's why I have a problem with it. It's not because she's apparently some sort of sex worker, although I don't know if they even explicitly say that, so much as it's really heavily implied. Well, not on a network show. They're not going to say it. it. It's pretty clear from the context, yeah. and I think that what happens next um, shows what makes it even more problematic. Yeah, we don't even get to the first murder before we get to a lot of really horrible uh, misogyny. But then, so Scotty and, um, I don't even know, do they name her? Uh, Kara, Kara or Kara. Mm -hmm. Okay, so they they wander out into the fog, which I guess is creepy. Space fog. Space fog is always creepy right. and a sure sign of shenanigans to come. <laughs> um, so they wander out into the fog and suddenly... There's a scream, and McCoy and uh, Kirk come running out into the space fog, and there is Scotty, and our lovely Kara, Kara, is murdered on the ground. And Scotty is holding 
the bloody knife. Well, this is going to be totally an open and shut case, though, right? I mean, that poor woman. Obviously, he's got the bloody yeah. knife. He's standing over the body. No, that poor woman is never uttered. It's more of, how are we going to get Scotty out of this? Priorities. Yeah, I think this is the the main problem with this episode is throughout the episode, um, there are more murders to come. Yay. But the, pro- the main biggest problem with this episode is that the priority of Kirk and McCoy is never to protect or get justice for or even care very much about these women who are being murdered. Their priority number one is to protect Scotty, even though they are not completely sure that he has not done this. That's always charming in any event when you um, when you see someone being depend, uh, defended purely on the basis of, well, we know this guy. He's a good guy. He wouldn't do that. Which is a very uncomfortable thing to have to think of if you've seen sort of that defense used before in any case of violence against women or just violence in general. Yeah, I mean, a huge part of rape culture is like, but he's such a nice guy, he would never do that. Well, okay, he never showed that side of himself to you. That doesn't mean he's not capable of... Exactly. You know, being violent towards women. Yeah, and just the willingness, the unwillingness of these characters to show any sort of moral empathy or willing to stay, well, wait a minute here, is just really kind of disturbing and kind of telling of their leadership skills, isn't it? Yeah, I mean, the people on the planet, the magistrate, they are very upset about this. And um, they say that they're going to... um, you know, I think Scotty's going to have to face death by torture if they can't prove his innocence. Um, but they're portrayed as like overreacting uh, and uh, just like go- taking this way too far and railroading an innocent man, um, even though they're acting pretty reasonably given the evidence and the seriousness of the crimes committed on their planet. Yeah. Yeah. So we start bringing in the actual. Um, police or leadership of the planet, and you're right, they, Jared, that they they start what they consider their justice process, and Kirk is very resistant to it. On the one hand, he wants to, you know, respect their laws. On the other hand, he wants to get Scotty out of there without having to have him, you know, face any sort of punishment for this crime that he may have committed. Then, so then we get to um, starting. T- to dive into their culture, which apparently is supposed to be like completely dependent upon pleasure, which I never quite understood as a concept. It's supposed to be some sort of like hedonistic society. It seems like the pre-Risa in the sense that they have built, yeah, they have built their, I guess, economy on catering to the men, of course, that stop by for rest and relaxation, if you will. Yeah, um, this is actually a great time for me to bring in a quote from Gene Roddenberry. So this script was written by uh, Robert Block, the uh, horror writer who also wrote the awesome episode Cat's Paw. Um, And uh, it was heavily revised by Gene Kuhn. So um, Gene Roddenberry at one point wrote a memo to Gene Kuhn where he said, let's establish that the nature of this place keeps women eternally young beautiful and remarkably busty perhaps hormones work better here at any rate let's cast and clothe in that direction with a vengeance this place is remarkably peaceful because the women are beautiful and they screw a lot isn't that logical or if we can't be logical let's at least just be provocative wow that's delightful so so beautiful women who screw a lot 
means peace. Well, if we learned anything from Lysistrata, it was that. <laughs> That's your Greek theater reference for the day, folks. I appreciate it. <laughs> I just, I'm blown away by that quote, Jara. I mean, th- I, we, we knew that this element existed, right? Watching the episode, you can see that theme come through, but to have it so specifically stated as the goal is just really disturbing. Yeah, it's pretty gross. So shall we go on to the next scene where um, they bring down Lieutenant Karen Tracy from the ship with this new invention called a psychic tricorder that can uh, record someone's memories that's a very convenient invention that we never see again because never see again it's a little too convenient before we move on though can i really quickly bring it back to the writer of this episode robert blotch and uh remind everyone of his most famous work that he was you know for a while internationally known for a little movie called psycho based off of a book he wrote which has no gender issues at all totally feminist Oh, absolutely. <laughs> absolutely. This is this is this dude has a great track record here. Also, fun fact, he was considered the protege of HP Lovecraft for a while. They had a long running correspondence from when Blotch was a teenager. I just think that's neat. Anything to do with HP Lovecraft fun facts is pretty neat. Well, also pretty telling, I'd say. Yeah. Just putting that out there. And Blotch in term was the um well, supposedly, the mentor of horror author Rob, uh, Jack Ketchum, supposedly. So there's like this whole cycle of dudes mentoring dudes into writing books about women getting murdered. With veins of uh, racism and Orientalism. Oh, but of course. Also, for the record, Blotch has been known in his work to have a certain affinity for a certain historical murderer of sex workers... That just might play into this later on. Yeah, and I think we definitely have to get into the kind of romanticization. Romanticization? Uh, Is that a word? Romanticization. Something like that. The romancy bits. Romancy bits. I don't know how a better way to put that. The way they romanticize Jack the Ripper yeah. in this Spoiler. episode. Spoiler, yeah. They approached Robert uh, Blotch because he had written a story called, um, I think, Yours Truly, Jack the Ripper. Yeah. And they specifically said, we want you to write Jack the Ripper in space. Which is such a weird priority to have. I mean, who just, I want to know who was like, no, that's a great idea. We're going to specifically go out of our way to have a Jack the Ripper in space story. Well, and I think that's why it doesn't feel like Star Trek. It doesn't feel like a Star Trek episode. It definitely has an agenda behind it, and that's really obvious. Well, yeah. And really awkward. There's an, also a, a behind-the-scenes part where Robert Justman, in his instructions to Blotch, is saying, like, incidentally, the uh, victims have to be women because Jack the Ripper only preyed on female... He uses the word prostitutes. Um, and uh, so, again, like, they were very deliberately writing not just about Jack the Ripper, but about Jack the Ripper killing women. Oh, this episode is just after our hearts, isn't it? <laughs> it really is. I also like how uh, one of our main characters here is uh, Hengeist, who is kind of leading the investigation and is uh, played by the actor who voiced Piglet. Bringing us the glorious um, after effects of never being able to really hear Piglet the same way again. It's a really weird choice for an actor, but... We'll, We'll get to it later. John Fiedler is a very skilled actor, though, who did some pretty good work. Look him up. IMDB him. See what you can find. And then we also have Jairus, 
who is kind of the magistrate, I think is his title. Yes. And his wife, Sibbo, and they're, they're, they're there to remind everyone that the law of Argelius is love. Mm-hmm. And everything to do with love. And if you break it, you will be tortured. Well, thank goodness. I was afraid for a minute you'd say if you break it, you buy it. But that's actually a relief to hear. Yeah, the law is love. And if you break the law, they will kiss you all over. <laughs> Oh, looks like someone's <laughs> going to be tortured to death via cuddles. <laughs> <laughs> All right, so, uh, Jerry, you were bringing up the next pretty egregious scene in bringing down Lieutenant Tracy. Yeah, so they're at, at this point, they're at Jerris's house. And uh, so Karen Tracy is put in a room alone with Scotty with the psycho tricorder and she doesn't have like a guard or a weapon or anything. Which- they don't even put the dude in handcuffs or anything. No, because he obviously didn't do it because he's a nice guy. TM. He's a nice guy. TM. Trademark. Yeah. (laughs) So um, they kind of leave the room. Then there's a scream and they come in and Karen Tracy is on the floor having been like clearly stabbed and like her dress is ripped. What? Um, And Scotty. Who could have foreseen this happening? Yeah. And Scotty is like slumped unconscious with the knife in his hand, which is apparently the same knife from the first murder because people are also really terrible at taking care of evidence. Olivia Benson is crying somewhere. This was a a super disturbing scene for a lot of reasons. Um, One of the most visually striking things for me is we really see for the first time how ludicrous and upsetting the mini skirts can be because I mean before this scene I was always kind of like haha the short skirts I mean whatever there are worse problems but you know in this scene while she's murdered on the floor her skirt is hiked up so she's sexualized even when she's been murdered which is really a, a very visually upsetting thing to see yeah and she's she's also dehumanized um you know, McCoy uh, scans her and says, she's dead, Jim, just like the other one. No names. Names are unimportant. They do not get that benefit. So, I mean, there's no such thing as, you know, a better victim, but but Karen Tracy is actually a member of Kirk's crew. He's going to have to tell her parents what happened. And again, his only concern is getting Scotty off the hook. It's like no one even mentions that this crew person died after this scene. Which is actually really out of character for Kirk, the way they've portrayed him in the past. He's very clearly a very protective person over the members of his crew. And one of the ways to get him very upset is to harm them in any way. And yet for this one crew member, in this specific instance, he does not seem to be very upset at all. I guess there's just a hierarchy of importance uh, for Kirk. Yeah, I mean, Scotty, Scotty's innocence at this point is more in, more interesting and more important to him than a murdered crew member. Whatever happened to the psycho tricorder, did that actually work? Did they do anything with it? I can't remember. Yeah, because that was the whole reason why she was supposed to go down there is to, to use this psycho tricorder to do a 24-hour memory, I don't know, reconstruction? No, they do, and they, they they use it at the end of the episode. That's the the computer voice. It's like, accurate. <laughs> Except it's Majel Barrett. So then we move into our seance. Because of course there's a seance in this episode. Why wouldn't there be a seance? At what point, I may have missed this, after she brings down the psycho tricorder, that's when they start talking to the the people who were playing the music while Kara was dancing. 
Oh, yeah. And one of them is apparently her father, which, okay, but it just weirds me out. But then he says she's been dancing for me since she was a little girl. So, like, at what point is this culture starting to sexualize these women? That's what stuck in my brain from that scene. And how much of a cultural electric complex are we looking at here? More Greek. Just coming out of nowhere with all these Greek references today. I mean, they they do do, like, some sort of, I don't know, investigation of other suspects to see who else besides Scotty could have been involved and what the motive might be. And uh, one of her boyfriends, or her fiancé, was uh, one of the suspects because he would have been jealous that she would be going off with Scotty. But would that be a moot point in a society where all the women are beautiful and screwing around and stuff? Yeah, from what I can tell, jealousy is not supposed to happen on this planet. Everybody is just supposed to be cool with all sorts of sexual openness. Well, he's not a boyfriend, right? Because they say a little bit later that, well, I was in love with her. And somebody else says, well, she wasn't in love with you. So, which which leads me to believe he was a jealous, uh, what's the word, is customer the correct word in this case? Yeah, might as well be. Gosh, can we just call this Creeper Planet? Can we just rename it that? Works for me. Yeah. From now on, Creeper Planet is uh, the trademark canon name for this planet. Which, incidentally, is the name of my Planet of the Apes fanfic. <laughs> so we do get to get a seance. We can't forget the seance. But not before we first belittle the culture by calling it Spooky Mumbo Jumbo. Absolutely. There's a little bit of... Um, I don't know if we would even call this Orientalist. There are definitely the trappings of it there, yeah. Well, I mean, the one of the features of Orientalism is that it, it or it combines so many different aspects of different cultures into one idea, um, which is something that you can't get away with when uh, you're examining Western cultures because Western audiences will immediately spot that as inauthentic. Um, but because yeah. it's like a white Western view, they can put in aspects of white views of Arabic cultures and Chinese cultures and Japanese cultures. And um, so that's what's happening in this. So like even though a seance isn't like a part of any specific Eastern culture, it's just like part of this otherness um, that is shown on this planet that's exoticized. Which, of course, they have to point out is strange and silly and not to be taken all that seriously. But the seance actually works. Yeah. Sort of. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> so we have Sybil, who is doing this seance to, like, call, I don't know, the murderer. And she starts saying all sorts of really strange things. She starts, I don't know, speaking in tongues almost about, you know, terrible, terrible, evil, hater of lives and killer of women, all these kinds of things, and uh, starts repeating these sorts of things. And then the lights go off, and shockingly, I'm sure we're all shocked at this point, another off-screen scream. Oh my god, I'm shocked. I know, amazing. And who shall we find when the lights come back on? But it's Scott. Mr. Scott. What? Scotty. Our beloved Scotty. Still no. right there with murdered woman and I, the bloody oh knife in her back. I can't believe it and I shan't believe it. <laughs> yeah. I mean, at this point, they've set up the same scenario three different times. And all Scotty can say is, I don't remember. He could at least show at least a little feigned empathy, couldn't he? Just like, oh, oh no, a dead woman. I think there's four women in this episode and three of them end up dead. Uh, yeah. And the fourth one does get attacked. Yes. So at this point, Kirk and McCoy are a little at a wall here because the first time, okay. 
they're really saying Scotty hasn't done this. By the time we're at the third time, they are completely flummoxed. They don't know what's going on. The Scotty they know would never do this, but this evidence keeps mounting, and how are they going to prove he's innocent? Which is still the most important thing. Because they totally trust him. But they still take zero precautions. Yeah, I mean, you would think that at least by this third murder, they would be thinking, hey, maybe we should protect these women. (laughs) So this is when they go to the ship to use their space lie detector combined with, I guess, the uh, readings from the psycho tricorder. And I guess they, so they bring uh, the people back from the surface, plus, so there's the magistrate and uh, Hengist who uh, we talked a little bit about before. Scotty, I think they bring back the father and also the um, boyfriend of the murdered dancer. Boyfriend being used uh, loosely here, apparently. So we get a scene where basically we get to hear the computer do a lie detector, which is obviously very compelling on screen. (laughs) They ask Scott questions and he's like, I don't remember. And the computer's like, Seems legit. Not gonna question it. If Scotty says so and the computer says so, well then. It's just a really awkward way to frame that, I think. I mean, they're basically just sitting around in a room talking, um, which is never a, a particularly compelling way to stage something. I'm not sure how they could have done that better. They could have just not made the episode. Yeah, that would have been nice. That's true. That would have been that would have been an easy way to correct all of these problems. So the computer backs up Scotty and they start thinking, okay, well maybe something else is is wrong. I mean, they did just have this super scientific séance and the super scientific psycho tricorder analysis that says that, you know, that Scotty is telling the truth and something is evil happening. So they start like talking it out. They really aren't in much of a hurry to solve this murder, are They're they? They're like Hmm. What did she say? Let's interpret what she said. But they they do figure out pretty quickly um, because Sibo had said before she died, uh, she had shouted out the word Red Jack and the computer figures out that Red Jack has something to do with Jack the Ripper, that it's some sort of nickname for Jack the Ripper. How many pieces of media are we going to have throughout the years in which Jack the Ripper is like this interesting character that we're supposed to, like, care about, even though he was just some random murderer, like many other murderers who just liked to kill women. As a society, we we do tend to really, um, our culture plays up the idea of stranger rape and stranger attacks. Um, and so in media, um, portraying these things, um, it puts women in a a sense where they're more afraid of getting attacked by a stranger on the street, um, but then women are actually a lot more likely to be attacked by acquaintances, and they're grilled either way. You know, if you're attacked on the street, it's like, what were you wearing? And if you're attacked at home, then um, it's it's really hidden and hard to talk about. So, um, but I think that fascination with stranger attacks has been something that um, has been with us for a really long time. Also, you've got to remember that the Jack the Ripper case was one of the first, one of the first, at least in Western cultures, big reported on uh, crime cases that people were actively following and it was actively being reported. It's kind of the first case that we have historically again, in Western culture, of commercializing a murder and making it something um, interesting that people were talking about and wanted to hear more about and were, like, paying to find out more about. And not only was it publicized and sensationalized, I think 
part of the reason it has remained part of our culture for so long is that it went unsolved for so long. That definitely. And I think that intrigued a lot of people. There were so many theories, including one that, you know, he came to America and continued murdering women. So the story became pervasive in a way. And when you have a story like that, that is essentially open-ended, different authors are going to continue to pick it up and write new stories about it each putting their own twist on it. And that's really troubling because it's a story all about violence against women. Again, I think it's, uh, I think the violence is why it was one of the first big sensationalized cases and what is part of what keeps it interesting. But the fact that it was one of the first sensationalized crime stories that we can look back on and the fact that it was unsolved for a long time that automatically gave it a level of cultural romanticism that people, uh, that kept it kind of perpetuated and kept it going in the cultural eye. And uh, they did actually recently solve the case, but it's it's more fun to look into the various theories that developed over the years. It's a, it's a list as long as your arm, and it really makes you wonder about crime solving back in the day. So in this episode, though, obviously they hadn't solved it at, at this point. And uh, basically, they figure out that um, Jack the Ripper is some kind of entity that um, has been going through time feeding off fear. And there, I don't necessarily have so much of a problem with that part of it. The problem is that Spock says, I suspect it preys on women because women are more easily and more deeply terrified, generating more sheer horror than the male of the species. Now bite me, Spock. <laughs> yeah, so you're basically saying that like women are innately more fearful and therefore easy prey. Yeah, easy yeah. prey. Um, it's pretty disgusting. When I was doing some reading to prep for this episode, I actually came across an article on Tor.com that put forth the idea that Kirk is actually the feminist and Spock is the misogynist. How the hell did that happen? I mean, it's always Spock who has the lines like, well, she's just a woman. Yeah, he does. Like, there's one in The Side of Paradise, too. It's, yeah, and it's really disturbing because he's supposed to be the one who's focused on science. And in many cases, he's arguing that science actually backs up women's inferiority. Um, like, they're more emotional. They're more terrified. They're less logical. Um, and that is really a big disappointment to me in the original series. Yeah, it's kind of just a wah wah moment for anyone with a semblance of... It's always really bothered me whenever Spock is misogynist. It, like, hurts more for some reason. And then you can point to the lines that Kirk has in exchanges like, a woman? No, a crewman. Yeah. And it's just strange to think about those characters that way, especially knowing what Leonard Nimoy believed and how he fought for equal pay for Nichelle Nichols yeah. and so on. Well, the big problem here is that the lines, when they're given to Spock and presented by Spock, means that those are what you're supposed to see as logical and sort of infallible. But when the lines are given to Kirk, then they're turned into this radical notion, you know? Like it's Kirk being, like, uh, forward-thinking in a way beyond what would we, we would consider logical. And it's very silly, um, but that's how the show works, sadly. I don't... I don't have a problem so much with the idea of a creature that feeds on fear. 
What I do have a problem with is the idea that we needed to make up some sort of space monster to explain violence against women. Like, Jack the Ripper wasn't a murderer, he was an alien that was feeding on fear. Um, And I just think it's kind of a, a weird way to go about that, just because, I mean, we do see... And there's this whole thing when they're figuring it out and they're talking about, like, the patterns of murder as if women being murdered is is some noteworthy thing in history. Like, they're, uh, sadly, it's sadly very common. And it feels really weird to me that they they kind of imply that they're, there's these patterns of history of these this monster that's been killing women as if humans are not fully capable of killing women. Well, maybe there's an implication there that we're supposed to be looking at a future society where that is just sort of unthinkable. I think that's kind of, that's the implication there that's like another instance of, well, our culture has evolved past that and it looks barbaric to us, but they don't really do that very well. Yeah, if that was the case, I think they would take the murders more seriously, but they seem, um, yeah, like we've said from the beginning, it's the people on the planet who are saying, you know, this is an affront to our way of life instead of the Starfleet people. But then you have the computer that's just rattling off this list of similar incidents on other planets where there's a string of murders of women. And I'm just sitting there watching this and like getting sick to my stomach. But, you know, violence against women isn't a problem. I always feel like I've got some kind of moral hangover after I finish watching this show. Well, this episode. Yeah, I mean, this episode was so upsetting to me that I actually considered stop stopping watching the original series. Because it just, it very, it upset me on a, on a very strongly, on a totally emotional level, where I just, it was so hard to watch, and it was so hard to see these crew members that I, I care about, and the show I care about, just treat violence against women in this way. And, and again, like, in the same way this episode makes it kind of hard to hear Piglet's voice the same way again sometimes, it makes it kind of hard to watch these characters again for at least the next few episodes without remembering this episode and having sort of the unpleasant callback always going to it and just being like oh hi scotty scotty so did you guys have more stuff you want to say about hengist because this is the part where we find out that he's jack the ripper dun 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 piglet the ripper the thing that i don't get is that if he feeds on fear why is he straight up killing the women Wouldn't he want to keep them alive longer to prolong the fear? Yeah, he's kind of cutting off his food supply. Really? I mean, he just needs to become friends with somebody with anxiety and hang out with them. Oh, God. And I say that as a person with anxiety. (laughs) I know, I think we just found a spinoff there. Like, Piglet the Ripper goes off into the sunset with just some really anxious people and hangs out with them all the time. Put me in a room full of 30 other people and... (laughs) (laughs) He can hang out with me. (laughs) It's just him going on anxiety-based adventures. Or, you know, he could go to places where there are a lot of, there is lots of fear naturally. Yeah. Wars, this sort of thing. Because is it actually the murder he needs? Because the way they talk about it, it's not. It's the fear. So Yeah, because at this point they say, you know, he sort of escapes into, is he in the computer of the ship? And he, um, 
they say, well, you know, now he's going to kill us, but he's going to terrorize us first because he needs as much fear as possible. And uh, so they end up pumping this sedative into the air vents that makes everyone, it's like laughing gas. So everyone is not fearful. They're just kind of hysterically laughing. And it's really, really disturbing to watch like when he grabs this yeoman and um, is like threatening to kill her and she's just laughing. I mean, it's yeah, it's pretty horrific. This section of the episode, though, also brings us like our very few dim rays of light in which it's pretty funny to see Sulu be high. <laughs> yes. Yes, it is. Like Sulu is just like, Let's just establish that George Takei has an amazing high face. <laughs> yeah, I mean, this is like the only part of the episode that I actually enjoyed in any way is watching Sulu just be confused and then just like giggle a lot. <laughs> also, the way Spock solves the problem, I think, is interesting. The way Spock solves the problem is terrible. <laughs> Why don't we remind our listeners? Can you remind me what I, what they do? Because I actually can't remember. <laughs> So they decide they need to tie up the computer's, like, processing. So Spock tells the computer to calculate pi to the last digit because it's, quote, a transcendental value, and that makes zero sense. Pi is a constant. You can calculate it, but it's just a known value, and it's an irrational number, so it doesn't end, right? There is no last digit, and that's the point that Spock's trying to make. But any computer that is sophisticated enough to be running a starship shouldn't right. basically fall for that trick. You know, it should say that's not possible, or Pi doesn't have a last digit, or simply output like 22 over 7. What would have been great is if he'd said that to the computer and the computer just responded with, yeah, nice try. Yeah, they could have given the computer an actual logic problem or paradox to tie up its processing and not calculate pi. I mean, beat the computer or AI with a logic problem is a trope that has existed in science fiction pretty much since the beginning of science fiction, and it's used in yeah. other Star Trek episodes. There are, there are many other conundrums you could come up with. Like, could God create a burrito so hot even he couldn't eat it? There's just so <laughs> many much more writing opportunity there that was missed out on. Yeah, there is no reason to not give the yeah. computer, and the audience for that matter, a real paradox to think about. I love that, Sue, I love that your problem with this is that the math doesn't <laughs> hold up. That's amazing. Because that's not something that I would ever consider. I'm sorry, I have a math degree. It's wrong and it's bothersome. <laughs> but, I mean, that happens to me a lot in TOS, especially when there is blatantly bad science. Like, I can suspend my disbelief for the warp drive and the transporters, and I can get past fiery explosions in space that shouldn't be happening. But when they use the words galaxy and universe interchangeably, it drives me crazy. Well, remember how we were talking earlier about Orientalism and the homogenizing of a culture and how if it happens with Western culture, instantly a Western audience will notice that and see it as flawed? I guess it's the same thing with math. Yeah, I mean, Sue, just just have a social science degree like me and it won't bother you anymore. I'll go back in time and take care of that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, go back and like study poetry or something and, and, and then you can watch Star Trek without going, ah, that math is incorrect. 
Yeah. <laughs> Please continue to point those things out because I would never have noticed that. And that's just a perspective I don't have. And so I find it really interesting. Yeah, for sure. So at this point, um, basically, they uh, they inject the guy with the sedative because they force him out of the computer, uh, drag him to the transporter room, and beam him into space, um, which is, well, effective, I guess. Um, but then everyone at this point is still high on the sedatives. So again, like this is the point where no one remembers that they lost a fellow crew member. Um, and so uh, Spock is basically like, okay, everything's done here. Why don't you guys head back to the planet to rest? And Kirk goes, that's a splendid idea, Mr. Spock. I know a cafe where the women are so... And McCoy interrupts, I know the place, Jim. And Scott goes, let's go see. But then they're like too high on the sedatives to go. And then they all just laugh and stay on the ship. And that is the end of the episode. <laughs> Wasn't that a delightful misadventure? Yeah, so that's Wolf in the Fold. So did you guys know that um, in originally um, the episode was supposed to be focused around Sulu instead of Scotty? I can think of a few reasons that wouldn't work, but go on. Uh, well, the uh, the main reason they didn't do it was just that they thought that Jimmy Dewan needed more stuff to do. But I think that, I mean, it's a bad enough episode as it is, but I think it probably would have made it worse because it would have added another dimension of racism. Um, it would reinforce a pretty common um, Hollywood trope, especially like in the years heading into the 60s of the yellow peril, the yeah. idea of like Asian men attacking white women. Yeah. So I'm glad that it didn't happen. Um Although the episode is pretty terrible anyway. The episode has enough problems as it is. Was there anything else we wanted to add about maybe the themes or just overall things about the episode? I know we talked about uh, Spock's line about women for quite a while earlier, but I think it is worth noting that, you know, that line is essentially placing the blame for this entire situation on the women. If women weren't so easily scared and so terrified by everything, then this wouldn't be happening to them. Then Jack the Ripper wouldn't be preying on them. But they can't help it because it's in their nature. On that note, can I bring something else into the uh, this discussion on the episode? There's a bunch of violence against women. And as we said earlier, there's that shot of the woman who's been killed and has like her skirt hiked up and is even in a violent sense being sexualized. But in the opening scene with the belly dancing... The actors actually had to cover her navel up for censorship purposes. So you can kill three of the four women in an episode, have a lot of people sort of saying, oh no, the guy who obviously seems like killed her didn't kill her, and make a whole thing about it. But God forbid you show a belly button on TV. Priorities. Yeah, that's a problem that I think we still have, is we allow a lot of violence to get through when we won't show... Sex, basically. Yeah. Pleasure. Because the belly button. Pleasure being more upsetting and more something that needs to be censored than horrific violence against yeah. women. Or violence in general. Or, say, homosexual romance being something that can't be shown without a lot of controversy, but you can have numerous crime shows week after week after week with brutal murders. Okay, do we have anything else we want to add? Blah. Blah. All right. Um. Well, shall we rate it then? Yes, we should. So 
Who wants to start? Who wants to give us their first rating? Well, having watched Star Trek VI earlier this weekend, I think I will go ahead and set phasers to vaporize. (laughs) (laughs) I, uh, based on the feelings I get from this episode, I'm going to set phasers to really uncomfortable. I'm going to have to set phasers to kill times infinity, which I'm (laughs) sure is not mathematically accurate, but represents my feelings for this episode right i'm gonna go very basic and just set my phasers to terrible just terrible yeah only way i can really describe it um i did also want to bring up that we started our facebook page which was really exciting and it was really cool to see how many people are already on our facebook page and you know having fun discussing um some of the episodes we're doing it has been an amazing and encouraging week seeing what's been happening on our page yeah i mean it's it's really heartening to see that people are are interested to hear about this perspective that we have and just in general it's just very cool to have a place where you know people can talk about some of these issues that we've been talking about on our shows so i did post uh something on our facebook basically saying We're discussing this episode, and we think it's one of the worst episodes for women. And, you know, would you agree or disagree? And for the most part, uh, people seem to agree with us. I did think it was interesting that one one of our commenters said that she thought that even though it had multiple female murders, it also showed the historical significance of those murders. And then also that Kirk and the crew... Um, and their determination to clear S- Scotty actually stops this string of violence that had, you know, these hundreds of years of murders and catch that murderer, which is an interesting interpretation that I had never considered. Well, I think that, you know, there's some point to that, but I think that it would have worked better if the uh, if it hadn't been men saving the day and if they were doing it more out of a sense of we need justice for these women and we need to stop violence against women as opposed to trying to get their bro friend off the hook yeah yeah i agree and but i i still think it's cool that we can have these kinds of discussions on our page and we'll bring them up every once in a while so uh definitely please feel free to to go to that page and disagree with us if you'd like (laughs) Yeah, and I think um probably at a future point we should go more into depth about the the perspective, you know, about taking the time into consideration because I think that there is a lot to talk about about um you know what we can expect from TV in the 60s and uh I think there's a bit of a misconception that shows in the 60s were all terrible and Star Trek was better in every way. Oh goodness, no. Yeah, when in fact um there was there were things that I think that we could um, reasonably say we could have expected to be better. And not only that, like, just as kind of a, a general note, just because we are criticizing maybe episodes or sometimes, you know, some characterization or anything, under under all of that is our fierce love for this show. And we wouldn't be spending... We criticize because we yeah, love. Yeah, we wouldn't be spending hours of our time putting together these critiques of a show that we didn't love and that we didn't want to be as good as it could possibly be. And especially since now this version of Star Trek is the one that's been rebooted and is having new content, we want to make sure that, you know, any problems that we see, we bring to the light of day so we can expect better from the future. Totally. To that point, one positive note about this episode that I forgot to mention before 
is that Kirk is actually willing to respect and follow the law of this planet if they couldn't clear Scotty, rather than going all, he's a Starfleet officer and we shouldn't have to blah blah blah. It is pretty progressive for It's a Kirk. really rare thing for Star Trek in general, I think, and for Kirk specifically. And it's a thing that I really appreciated because we don't see it that often. Mm-hmm. And we will be doing episodes that we think are particularly good for women as well. Um, so we're not just going to pick all of our least favorite episodes and rip them apart. We're also going to take episodes that we love and talk about why they worked. Um, so we're not going to try and, and stay negative on this all the time. But I do think some of these episodes need to be discussed. So... Hence our episode today. Now, is there anything else anybody wanted to add? Well, on a side note, today we are recording on William Shatner's birthday. Happy birthday, Kirk. Happy birthday, Kirk, indeed. Well, thanks everyone for joining us for our discussion on Wolf in the Fold. If you are interested in finding out more about Women at Warp, you can check us out at our website, womenatwarp.com, or follow us on Twitter, at womenatwarp. If you have any questions or suggestions for upcoming episodes, feel free to email us at crew at women at warp.com. And lastly, now you can feel free to join our discussion page on Facebook titled, you guessed it, Women at Warp. And when you can talk with other fans about Star Trek in general and any thoughts you have on our show or episodes we're doing or just, you know, share your opinions in any way. Now, Grace, where can listeners track you down on the interwebs? They can find me at Twitter, actually, on at BoneCrusherJank on Twitter. And you can also read my writing on the Mythcreants blog, where there will hopefully be more of it soon. And Jara, where can people find more of your work? People can find me over at trekkiefeminist.tumblr.com. And Sue, you're last. Where we're... I am podcasting and blogging over at AnomalyPodcast.com. Alrighty, I'm Andy. You can follow my live tweeting of Star Trek on Twitter under First Time Trek, or you can check out my archive project on Tumblr at FirstTimeTrek.tumblr.com. Thanks so much for listening. How could any man do such monstrous things? I swear to you, I did not kill your wife or the other ladies.